Again, like our last study, I have put everything in the handout. I don't have a large section in this evening's study to go through uh, for you to turn to in your Bible, but uh, I do have quite a bit of scripture to talk about in the handout. If you'd like to look at it with me, and first we want to begin this evening with the title for tonight's characteristics of God's grace is predestinating grace. And I start off with these words from Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Folks, God can only look upon you and I because of his son, the Lord Jesus. He only hears our cries because of his son, the Lord Jesus. Because of what he's done, because of who he is, and because where he is right now, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places we find in our Savior, Christ Jesus. Paragraph 2, this is the basis of God's grace. God the Father loved a people from before the creating of the worlds. Therefore, because of his love, he has grace, unmerited favor on this undeserving people, blessing them with all things spiritual because of and through his Son, Jesus Christ the Lord, and what he accomplished for this people. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest man should boast. Our Lord clearly states in his word there, as we just read, that we are saved by grace, that unmerited favor, favor from God. We are favored in the eyes of God. In the Old Testament, it says, He looks upon us with, with joy. Loving. He, he describes his people as uh, Solomon describes his bride in the Song of Solomon. We're, 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 we're the jewel of his eye. Christ in him crucified. It's who he is. It's what he's done and where he is now. And this should always be the object of our studies, our discussions, our worship. If it is not about him, it is not true worship. I have been once again called boring. <laughs> and to this person who called me boring, I can understand why I'm boring to them because all I do is preach about Christ and his crucifixion for his people. That's the love of God. He sent his only begotten son out of love for us. A love that has always been there. I'm boring. <laughs> okay, that's all right with me. It's not boring to me to talk to you about him. It's not grievous to me, as Paul said, to continue to preach to you. Romans 11, verse 36, it says, For of him, speaking of Christ, and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Everything is for him. Everything was created by him and through him and for him. It's called, we, we're discussing predestinating grace. And that is simply God determining his grace to be executed through his son, the Lord Jesus, upon whom he chooses, when he chooses, 
and how he chooses before it actually has happened. Our brother Kevin was absolutely right in his Wednesday night message a week ago. The word of the Lord states in Romans 8, 28, 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Kevin brought out how we were determined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's exactly what we've been done, what has been done. We have been conformed to him. Not by something you and I do in this world that we walk through, but by what he has done, and only by what he has done. Page two. The sovereign God has determined, has purposed the outcome of all that is, including the destiny of his people. He has determined his chosen people to be conformed to the image of his Son, and they are conformed by the works of his Son, Christ Jesus. Listen to these words. I, I, I went through and pulled out, and, and folks, this is just in two books of the Old Testament. This word purposed is used in a lot more places. But let me, let me share some verses with you. Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely... As I have thought, so, so as, as he has thought, just a thought goes through his mind, so shall it come to, that's all he has to do is think about it and it's going to come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. That's the true and living God. Everything he has purposed shall come to pass. In Isaiah 14, verse 26 through 27, we read this. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Isaiah 19, verse 12, Where are they? Where are thy wise, thy wise men? And let them tell thee now, and let them know what the Lord of hosts hath purposed upon Egypt. What did the Lord of hosts purpose upon Egypt? We read in the book of Hebrews that he purposed to Pharaoh to be raised up and destroyed. Why? So that God's power might be known throughout all the earth. In, in chapter 23, verse 9, we say, we read these words, The Lord of hosts host, host hath purposed it, to stain the pride of all glory, and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. In Isaiah 46, 11, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man, executeth, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. Jeremiah 4, 28, for this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken it, I have purposed it, and will not repent, neither will I turn back from it. If that's not so, if what we just read about God fulfilling his purposes, if that's not so, then how could we read and believe the words of Romans 8.28? Isn't that the basis for what that... that uh, uh, verse means, and we know that all things work together for the good that them to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that the basis for that verse? That everything God has purposed 
shall come to pass. We need, we need to pay special attention to the words of shall and I will when it, speak, when it comes to the Lord speaking. I shall, I will. Those are very important things for God's people to, to take at hand and, and understand those very words we see, that we read in Romans 8, 28. Page 3, And we know because God has, by His grace, revealed to us the truth of who He is and what that means as to the power that He wields. Who is He? He's God. He's sovereign over everything. Isn't that what we mean? Isn't that the word God means? Sovereign over every bit of creation, every bit of man's will, every purpose, every destination of everything. It's all ruled by our God. And he rules all power, as we read in, in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Having all power, how can anything be wrong? Are not all things right with God? Can anything change Him? Can anything obstruct His will and His purpose? Let me ask you this. 9-11 is right around the corner from right now. We're almost to the, to the date of 9-11. If God brought men into this world, who would grow up to sacrifice their own lives in order to kill as many innocent people by flying airplanes into a building, I ask you, would that be right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If God brought a person into this world, a vessel fitted for destruction, would that be right? You can read that in Romans 9.22. Would that be right? Absolutely it would be. Was Pharaoh brought into this world and raised up to be seen as a god between natural men, by natural men, was that right? You're darn right it was right. If God, uh, our problem, folks, is that we want to measure God according to what we think is right. We think that because it's not right that that man is doing those things to those people over there. That it's not right in the eyes of God. God has a purpose for everything, folks. He, I'm not saying he's the author of sin and wickedness. He's not the author of that. Man is, is the author of our own wickedness. But God allowed it. He allowed Jonah to run from him. Isn't that what Scripture says? He ran from the Lord. Well, if God didn't want Jonah to run, he wouldn't have, but he did, and we know the reason why. Because Jonah had to learn a lesson that salvation is of the Lord, not of man, and go and preach that to the largest crowd of people who were turned by God in, in the history of the Bible, the men of Nineveh. If you read about how big the city of Nineveh was, you understand that there were millions of people that lived in that one city. And the whole city was turned to God by the preaching of Jonah. Was it right? Absolutely. You know, I was thinking about this today in the discussion of me being boring. <laughs> I don't mean to keep throwing that out there, but it's it, it become funny. But uh, I was thinking about this. And we, we seek the will of God, don't we? We, we try to seek the will of God the best we can. 
And as I think about that and go to the depths with that, go to all the depths as deep as I can go, the only way we know the true will of God is after something has happened. My mom died on the exact day of God's will for her to die. My son was born on the exact day that it was God's will for him to be born. And he rules over everything. Is that not correct? So if we take it right down to the very basic thing, the only time we ever know for sure that we're doing God's will is after it's already done. Well, you shouldn't have done that. You know, I did it. That's all there is to it. Am I wrong? Our problem, folks, is that we want to measure God according to what we think is right. And I tell you, that's wrong. Proverbs 3.5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. People talk about blind trust. What else do we have but to trust the Almighty, the one who has given us a faith to believe his word? Trust with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. I like what I recently read. I can't remember who it was, but somebody wrote, God does not do what is right. Let me read that again. God does not do what is right. What God does is right. Period. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 17 and 18, at the bottom of page 3 there. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, not with the wisdom of worldly words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. But for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Page 4. Then he writes in verse 22 and 25 of that same chapter, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called. Remember? Remember what we read in Romans 8? To them who are called according to his purpose. That's what that is right there. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And I'll tell you, the first time I read that verse, the first time Pastor Gene read that verse out loud from the, from the pulpit, I, I literally thought in my mind, and I remember it perfectly, I, that's, the, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard. That makes more sense to me about who God is than anything else I've ever heard. God, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And Paul concludes all of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with verses 29-31, says that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I'm sure glad made Christ my wisdom, because I know I don't have a lot of my own, very, very little. I'm sure God made Christ all of my righteousness, because I know I got none of that. And I'm sure glad that God made his son my sanctification, my holiness, because I know I got none of that. And that my Lord is my redeemer. And because of that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. God predetermined, ordained is what that word means, 
He purposed, that's another meaning of it, that his only begotten son would be the salvation of his people, of his chosen people, loved with an everlasting love, a people in bondage to their own nature, a people dead in trespasses and sin, unwilling and unable to save themselves. If you're a child of God, your eyes are open to the fact that you know that you were unwilling and unable at one time before to do anything but God, huh? Wonderful words, but God. By his walk in human form, being made flesh, the God-man humbled himself and became a servant, accomplishing what he had purposed, as he does in everything, with perfect righteousness, tempted as we, yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15. He was obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. That's what we read in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to know what Jesus would do? Do the will of God the Father. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Page 5. Natural men hate this word predestined. Why? Why is it such a word to be hated? God's people don't hate it. We see clearly now giving, being given sight to see God's truth. We see clearly that if it wasn't for God predestinating us, we would still be on that path to destruction we, we were on at one time. Amen. Why do they hate it? It's because it's a word that cannot because it's a word that cannot be misunderstood. Predestined. Your destiny is set before you. It cannot be misunderstood. It's a word that takes all the imaginary power away from man and puts all the glory of salvation in the Lord's hand. God predestinated, he determined from the foundation of the worlds a people who were sinners by nature to be cleansed and made righteous to be conformed to the image of his son, Christ Jesus. Isn't that what we read back there in Romans 8, 29? Here's some verses declaring the same thing. John 6, verses 37 through 40. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Isn't that what, isn't that what sovereignty is all about? Isn't that the basis of all sovereignty right there? That he should lose nothing? That his purpose can't be turned? His hand cannot be turned? He shall lose nothing, but should raise it up again in that last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, in, verse John, in John chapter 10, 
verses 14 through 16 and declaring the same thing. I am the good shepherd and I know my, and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, saith the Lord. Why? Why must he bring them? Because God hath predetermined them to be conformed to the image of his Son, conformed in perfection, conformed in righteousness, performed... Uh, conformed in holiness and conformed in justification. And they shall hear my voice, he says, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Why? Because God has predetermined it. He has purposed it. And he, by his own selfless work, has accomplished all that was purposed, all that was needed to conform this people to himself. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we read about this one who, is con who we are being conformed to, who being the brightness of his glory. You know who the glory of God is? You know what the glory of God is? It's his son, the Lord Jesus, when he said to the people, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the glory of God, his son, his perfect righteous son who did everything that pleaseth the Father. And the express image of his person, he's, he's the express image of his father. They are of one mind, one, one purpose. Everything is agreed upon because there's nothing to disagree on. They're of one mind. And upholding all things by the word of his power. Folks, Jesus Christ has all power in heaven and earth and under the earth. All power, that's every ounce of whatever you and I could call power. Every microbe of everything belongs to him and is under his control. He upholds all things by the word of his power, verse six or page 6. When he had by himself, did you notice that? That is completely contrary to the world of religious people today that say, if you'll just let Jesus into your heart. If you'll just make him the Lord of your heart. I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is the Lord of everything. He's the Lord of all. You can't make him anything. You're the worm. He's the creator. And he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high after purging us from our sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, we read these words, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, this is what we were before, before he called us with the words of life. We were dead, dead, dead dog dead, as Pastor Gene loved to say. He loved us even then, wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins and hath quickened us, that means made us alive, together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There we come right back to those words that we read in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. All blessings, all spiritual blessings, 
You know, we were spiritually dead at one time. Spiritual life is a, is a blessing that must come first, isn't it? We must be given life so that we can hear the words of God. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. In our Lord's priestly prayer as our mediator, our go-between, our Savior calls upon the Father. In John 17, verses 15 through 19, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou, thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. The word, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. I never tire of hearing about his grace. Do you? His grace is what sustains me. Lord willing, that will be our subject next week, persevering grace. I, I, I spelt that wrong. No, I didn't. Preserving grace, yeah. There is never too much grace for me. I see my very need of it every moment of every day. When sin rears up its ugly head in my flesh, grace overcomes it. When the foolishness of this world crashes upon my ship, grace calms the storm. Grace says to my heart, what shall we then say, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Grace says to my soul, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Grace says these words in Romans 8, verse 35 through 37, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine? You know, I read through these words, this list of words that our Lord has given Paul to write here. Like where he says, As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. Those That list that is that we see the tribulation, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness. Those are all words that fit this flesh, that accost this body, this mind, every day in this world as we walk through this valley of the shadow of death. Yet grace tells me who shall separate me from the love of Christ, this very one who laid down his life for me. We are counted as sheep, for the slaughter, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Does that not grace speak to your heart? Because it is God that has predetermined, predestinated the way, the means, 
and the outcome of my salvation, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God. Amen. Which is in my Savior, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Folks, I'm here to tell you that if God had left me to myself, I would receive my just reward, eternal damnation. And I'm beginning to love this statement more and more every time I read it. But God. But God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ my Savior.